0: Welcome to episode 168 of the Garden DC podcast. In this episode, we chat with Doug Oster, Pittsburgh's garden guru, about favorite fall perennials. The plant profile is on autumn daffodils, and we share what's going on in the garden, as well as some upcoming local gardening events in the What's New segment. We close out with the last word on flying squirrels by Christy Page at the Food Gardening Network. This episode, we're joined by Doug Oster, Pittsburgh's garden guru, and a returning guest on the Garden DC podcast. Welcome back, Doug.
1: Great to be back, Kathy. You know, I always love talking to you. Uh, there never seems to be enough time. We get rolling, and we just keep going.
0: I know, and there's so much more we can talk about in every category that we've covered in the past. We've had you for summer vegetables, about tomatoes in particular, our mutual love of duke's
2: mayo
0: yay <laughs> <laughs> that could be I, a whole episode right I there i actually
1: sent her a picture of a from a prison documentary from 1966 where duke's mayonnaise was on the table so that's how that's how deep this love of duke's mayonnaise goes And anything, <laughs> anything about it i sent it to her find that duke's mayonnaise i'm telling you, you won't be sorry <laughs>
0: mm-hmm and then and neither of us is sponsored by Dukes. So I'm going to say yet.
1: Yes, yet. right. <laughs> <laughs> we,
0: we we would I definitely endorse any product that I use and enjoy, but obviously not a product that I would turn down. So, today's episode we are talking all about fall perennials and some of our favorites for the garden to continue that summer color into the fall and autumn season in particulars with perennials versus shrubs and trees but maybe we will kind of um, expand that category and some of our choices Doug and maybe cheat a little too that sounds like fun yeah so um, because we've had you on in the past uh, our listeners probably know a bit about you but maybe I'll ask since you were last on the podcast any updates or fun things we should know
1: well, I host my own podcast called Talking Trees for the Davy Tree Expert Company. I have a radio show here in Pittsburgh, right for a you know local website, and just love to garden, love to help people garden. Uh, that's about it. That's all the new. But uh, for me, and I was speaking today before uh, we got together here to record, and people were saying oh, time to slow down, you know, okay, the garden's done. I'm like, what are you talking about? This is this is the second most important season, fall. And, you know, as you alluded to, trees and shrubs, and of course, for me, bulbs, but perennials in particular, you know, it's a great time, you know, uh, I'm in zone six, uh, and, and I'm finding at this time of the season, perennials are being marked down. And this is just for me, the perfect time to plant them. And, uh, you know, I, I love perennials. Uh, they make my life a lot easier. I, I know gardeners go through kind of, I don't know, just different moods for them. Like sometimes people will say, I'm going all perennials. And others will say, you know, I'm going back to annuals because I want longer bloom time. But, uh, I you know, I grow plenty of annuals. But I just, I love tough perennials that just do their thing. And any perennial that I'm going to recommend is going to be almost maintenance free.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's a love affair with perennials that kind of goes in and out of fashion, right? You know, they were big in the 80s, big again in the two, early 2000s, and now it seems like shrubs are having more of their day. What do you think on that trend? Yeah, of-
1: and and little shrubs. You know, again, when I was at this public garden, I saw a lot of little shrubs, You know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, especially when they're doing a lot of breeding with hydrangeas. And, you know, for smaller yards, for urban spaces, you know, even to growing containers. Yeah, that's definitely, definitely a trend.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. The dwarf size shrubs, they're compact, they're easy. They're almost like set it and forget it. Not quite as easy as bulbs, but, you know, close because some of them will need pruning um, and maintenance down, but not the yearly whack back that, say, a perennial will. Right. So let's start with some of our favorite fall perennials. And on my list, I had at the top Japanese anemone.
1: Well, that's on my list too. I grow one called Queen Charlotte. And then I have another one. I, I, I don't remember what it is, but it's smaller and has a, a double kind of purplish flower. Not, not, not quite purple, but not quite pink. But Queen Charlotte is my favorite. You know, for a lot of people, Japanese anemone can be a bully. But I've gotten a spot where it's competing against bamboo, so it's fine. You know, my biggest mistake, I'm telling everybody that's listening, never plant bamboo. You know, this bamboo that somebody gave me said, oh, it's, it doesn't spread, it's it's clumping. Uh, that was a lie because I, I'll never get rid of it. So I've got that uh, Queen Charlotte, which gets to about four feet tall, has beautiful uh deep pink flowers and it just dances in the breeze. Yeah. Sometimes the common name is windflower, but there's a lot of different windflowers and, mm-hmm. you know, that is one of those plants where you can just put in and it's going to spread for you. Uh, you know, cut out some pieces and give it to friends. And it's a late bloomer, which I just love. Uh, and it, 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 it's not just a one trick pony. the, Flower buds look great. The flowers look great. And then there's like kind of a white tufty seed head. So uh, it's one of my favorites. The deer will nibble on it. It's not their favorite, but the deer will nibble on it. So I've got it out in deer country. So it needs to be sprayed with uh, some repellent. Hmm.
0: Yeah. And the foliage can look a little tattered or ratty if you got it like in full sun or full afternoon sun. So maybe morning sun is better for it. Um, and if it gets a little dried out like if we had a kind of dry september so mine is looking a little brownish at the edges but it still keeps on blooming up a storm and the one i have is robotissima which is you know very bullish per the latin name (laughs) it is definitely robust and a great spreader the funny thing about it doug is if you bring it to a plant swap if you don't pot it up well in advance and let it recover for a couple of weeks, you're basically bringing like what looks like wet spinach, you know, like <laughs> <laughs> it just does really resents being transplanted at first looks awful, but will fully recover. All you need is a little section of the root.
1: That sounds awesome. And again, something you're going to have a lot of it, share it with, with friends and other people.
0: Mm-hmm. And if you have a good part shade situation, good good filler for that.
1: Yeah, definitely. And That's where mine is, part shade.
0: Mm-hmm. So what was on next on your list, Doug?
1: Well, it doesn't have a common name. It's called Corytolus lutea, and it is one of my all-time favorites because of its long bloom time. So you could call this a spring perennial, a summer perennial, and a fall perennial. Uh, sometimes people call it yellow bleeding heart, but that is really... It's not a bleeding heart, but it has beautiful kind of ferny, light green foliage with uh, yellow flowers. It gets to about 18 inches in the shade, about three feet tall in the sun. It'll grow anywhere. Uh, The deer aren't interested in it. Um, It starts blooming in April and it's still blooming now and is going to go into at least November. And it makes this beautiful colony after just a few years from throwing seeds everywhere. If you don't want it where it pops up, you can just pull it out. Like it's escaped into my vegetable garden. Mm-hmm. And, and when I get, when it starts creeping into the beds, I just pull it out or I put it in a pot and, and give it to somebody, you know, it makes the garden look like someone's been gardening in it. And so when it's at its high point, cause I'm all low maintenance, you know, for both of us, we're running around and speaking and, you know, writing blog posts and doing podcasts where we should be gardening, and I just love a, a plant that will spread on its own. It's great for containers. It's one of those perennials, because of its long bloom time and toughness, it'll throw seeds into a container. It'll throw seeds into a crack. Uh, I just, I just love the plant. And anybody that will listen, I will tell them about Caretillus ludia, uh, just because of its ease of growth and its long bloom time and I don't have to do a thing with it and I just love when it's in the vegetable garden now because it's all around the edges of all the beds and when it gets going out there it's just it's it I guess it's not for everybody it's not for somebody who wants a neat formal garden in in, Mm -hmm. for my style of gardening but it's just I love it going everywhere and as I said if if it's in a spot I don't like I can just have no worries about just pulling it out because I got it everywhere. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: And I think it's one of those that um, once you have it, it does recede everywhere. It acts almost like an annual, like you said, because it just keeps blooming and blooming. Versus a lot of perennials that just have like a two-week bloom period, and then that's your basically all your season of interest. Right. But you know, uh, I have heard people warning about it that it could be on the invasives list. But you know, uh, everything is local, so check your local list. But you're right, it does lend cover color in a lot of spots. It comes up, you know, it basically in the cracks of concrete. I mean, what could be easier than that?
1: Yeah, I hope it does not go into that, like, invasive category because uh, it's so beautiful. I just I just love it.
0: Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's displacing anything. So that's a little bit different than, you know, something that spreads readily, whether it is displacing a native plant.
1: Yeah, and uh, it's, might it's not it's not uh, underground runners either. It's just by throwing seeds here and there. And actually I've never, you know, I've been growing it now for 22, three years in my garden. There's no sign of it anywhere outside the garden. There's no sign of it in the forest. There's no sign of it at the neighbors. There's no sign of it anywhere else except for in my garden.
0: Mm -hmm. And I think that's because it is where you garden like disturbed soil, Mm -hmm. right? versus like leaf litter in the, right. in the forest so that's that's a good thing for keeping it in check hmm. so next on my list is the ugly named but beautiful plant toad lily
2: <laughs> I'm, <you're, laughs> I
1: wish you, I'm glad you're going to talk about this one because i've struck out in in growing it i've only tried a couple times and i've put it in i think the soil's too dry but it's in with a bunch of ferns and it's, you know, they're uh, hay-scented ferns, so they'll grow anywhere. They'll grow in dry woodland soil. And so I tried it there where I really don't take care of that area. I just let it go on its own. I was hoping it was going to be one of those plants that would take care of itself, but I didn't get it to come back. And I tried it a couple of years. So you you give me the lowdown on, on this one because I want to grow because it it's so beautiful.
0: Mm -hmm. yeah so I do love Triceratus I have several varieties of it I think Samurai might be my favorite it's got like a beautiful kind of chartreuse edge to the leaves so even without those cute little orchid like flowers you get beautiful foliage Um, it does take a little more water than my dry shade so where I plant it is around the base of my gazebo and here's my laziness trick Doug when I'm watering the hanging pots that are hanging in my gazebo, that water spills down onto them below.
1: Mm, so like, I like that idea.
0: So there, they, there you go. That's the lazy watering trick. And so they're getting some supplemental water, not a ton, but some, but so I would say they don't like dry, dry shade, but they're f- happily blooming in, you know, part to full shade. And, this year, though, I've had another complication of a mom bunny and her two offspring moved under my gazebo, and they've been chomping on a couple of the varieties of Triceratus and a couple they left alone. So I can't figure out why they like one and not another, but now I'm going to have to start spraying.
1: Yeah, that, that would be a case for me for, for spraying, uh, you know, because it's not a food crop, uh you know it depends on which food crop you're you're spraying if you've got bunnies, I get bunnies that get into the veggie garden here and there until I can figure out where to get rid of them there's uh something I use for the vegetables is called hot pepper wax mm-hmm. uh, and for some reason we don't taste the hot pepper, but the animals won't won't touch it and until I can figure out where they're coming in and out i I just use that uh what are you going to do about your bunnies just going to live and let let be live and let live is that the right term live and let live yeah
0: live and let live yeah i have been right now i mean when their babies are so cute you can't do much about them but there are some you know juvenile hawks in the area and so i haven't been discouraging the hawks let's just say that
1: i had a a family uh take up residence in my vegetable garden and again you, you you know a baby baby bunny there's nothing cuter in the world and so i actually raised them by just letting them do their thing in the fenced in vegetable garden until they got to a certain size where my dog max when he was alive could go in there and just chase them out and then i then i'd be done with them and so it's so funny that uh, max was getting up in years and he goes in there and actually I have a video of this and you know he can't even see the rabbit at this point. And then finally the rabbit moves and he sees the rabbit and he starts chasing it and he chases, he's running out the garden gate. But before he ran out the garden gate, he never saw the rabbit just made a, uh, you yeah, 90 degree turn behind, <laughs> behind the beehive. And Max came, you know, back in the garden with his chest all puffed up and, you know, saying, I helped you out there, dad, I, I got that, uh, rabbit <laughs> out of the garden. <laughs> so, <laughs>
0: hmm well they are clever little bunnies and they do blend in i love how they think that you can't see them when they <laughs> yeah. just freeze yeah and i'm like uh i don't I that might work with dog eyes but that doesn't work with human eyes mister <laughs> I,
1: have, I have a rabbit the size of a raccoon out there outside the, the garden i just i i think it's too big to get in that's the other thing too with the the younger rabbits the little baby rabbits they can go in and out of chicken wire pretty easily uh till they're a mm-hmm. certain size till they basically till almost they're mature and so that's a that's always an issue unless you've got fencing as tight as like something like hardware cloth i've got just chicken wire around you know buried uh, around a picket fence uh you know down awesome. there and so far so good for the last couple of years but something's in there munching on my swiss chard and it's not a rabbit because there's lots of other stuff for a rabbit i think it's like a chipmunk or something they for some reason Mm -hmm. they go after my my beet greens and my uh swiss chard so that's driving me nuts i gotta get some of that hot pepper wax on there but there's only so many hours in the day right kathy
0: (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah and the hardware cloth is definitely the way to go i found Um, that's the barrier I use around my lettuces and stuff at the community garden because yeah, chicken wire is not going to do it for those baby bunnies. Not at all. Hmm. So let's go to the next one on your list. And I think you had Hardy banana. Yeah,
1: this one's a star in my garden right now. And it's only about three seasons, maybe four seasons that I've had it. And I just started off with, you know, it was, it was just a a guy did a story on, Uh, gave me a potted one you know maybe in a one gallon pot in maybe 18 inches tall now I've got like six or seven banana trees out there and again I'm zone five six actually not I don't consider it six even though it technically is six I I say five six and it's it's a I don't know 15 18 foot trees like six of them and it just it looks so tropical and I just love it. And all I have to do at the end of the season when frost gets to it is I just cut it off at the bottom. And it's easy to cut with just a simple pruning saw, even though it's, again, probably at least 12 inches around, probably bigger than that at the, the bottom. And then I just cover it with straw and it comes back every year, bigger and bigger. And then as as it sprouts, I cut off the edges, the sides, and give it to gardening friends so they can have it. Uh, it's one of my one of my favorites, especially this time of the year, as it's reached its uh, maturity. And it's just, it's just huge. And it's growing in right across from those Japanese anemones. So <laughs> not a lot of sun, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, and d- I never water it. I never do anything with it. It just does its thing. It's never going to put bananas on it. That's not what it's for. It's just to give you this tropical look and anybody that sees it, they're just like, what, how, <sighs> I don't mm-hmm. understand. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, this thing's hardy. And it is just a, a wonderful plant for the garden.
0: Mm-hmm. And I'm assuming that's the Musa Bastu yes. uh, variety. And they're not technically, some people will call it banana tree, but it is a banana plant, not a tree.
1: To me, it looks like a tree. You, mm-hmm. you I mean,
0: you it has a tree it, form.
1: You can call it whatever you want, but you you look at, yeah. at my garden, you're looking straight up and you're like, wow, that's a <laughs> it's just tree, tall. baby.
0: <laughs> yep. It's just a very, but we're considering it a very tall perennial for our purposes all right. today. But yeah, definitely. And just dies all the way back to the ground, like you said, comes right back like a like a monster almost out of a japanese monster movie you're like err. <laughs> <laughs> so uh next on my list is a huge category and we could probably do the whole episode on this one easily and that's asters so we have our native asters we have asters from europe and asia and then we have all those great hybrids um, what are some of your favorite asters doug
1: you know, I have trouble growing asters because I don't have the sun that they think they would prefer. Um, I love these tall native asters. Like I was, again, I was just at this, it's called the Pittsburgh Botanic Garden. And I do a, you know, a quarterly thing there with the uh, education director and they just have all sorts of different asters there. And these they have some real tall Native ones. I have no idea what the name is, but the reason, one of the reasons their asters are so important is they're such a great late source for uh, pollen and nectar for our pollinators. You know, we're working okay. so hard in like growing milkweeds and other things to help different pollinators, but this food source at the end of the season, that's what's so important. And like I said, I could probably get some asters to grow in the vegetable garden. That's where I get most of my sun, but my vegetable garden has become so filled with things that the deer eat, you know, I, the fenced in vegetable garden is home to hydrangeas. Now, lilies, hostas, lilacs, and a host of other plants where I'm just running out of room. You know, I, I'm sure I could stick some asters in there. What about <laughs> you? What are your favorites?
0: So I really like the white wood aster. And so that's one of our prolific natives. And that one, I think you have really good luck with Doug, because that, goes actually, into the shade
1: yeah. actually that's all over my forest uh that's mm-hmm. a native that's all over my forest i love that one i i forgot all about that yeah that one's blooming right now and boy that thing is tough as nails and it's a real beauty
0: mm-hmm. it's drought tolerant it's great what i don't like is they changed the latin so now it's yeah, Eurebia. yeah Eurebia de Vericata. um so everything that was in that asteraceae family kind of got split up in the last few years, and you have to learn all new Latin for those.
1: No, you don't. If you're like me, you just say you don't know how to pronounce it because I don't know how to pronounce it. What is the other one? What is the aster that starts with S after it that they changed now?
0: Um, symphiconium, something like that. Simph- I'm saying it wrong, but it starts with symph.
1: Yeah, like, like I'm, even, I'm not even going to – I'm not smart enough to, to know how to pronounce that. I'm just not, I'm just not, you know, again, you know, the guy that I was with today is a PhD. And so we, it's good to play off each other. He said that name, you know, but when he said it, I said like Gesundheit afterwards. Cause it was so long. It sounded like a sneeze. <laughs>
0: yeah let's just stick with the aster that's yeah. probably the best one and then of course the new england asters the the kind of like pale periwinkle color purples i love that color and fall doug like people think of fall as those like blazing sunset tones right orange yellow reds and burgundies but i really like the cool side of fall those those purple and dark dark ones
1: that sounds good man that sounds great I, i'll have to throw something in the vegetable garden somewhere but Again, I got a whole bed in the vegetable garden that's turned into a nursery bed. And actually, that's where one of the uh, Japanese anemones are. You know, people s- send you stuff and you want to grow it out. I just, I got to get it out of that and then try something <laughs> else in there. Oh, mm-hmm. boy.
0: And I think asters in containers, that's a good idea, too. So oh, if I you some, I try
1: that, yeah, I, love, some I, like spots use, with- I like to use these uh, fabric pots. They're called uh, root pouches and they're made out of recycled water bottles, and they're inexpensive, you can get a 15-gallon one from A.M. Leonard for like five or six bucks. And again, this isn't an ad. This is just what I use. And like I use those things a lot for like home and garden shows where I, I want to present like, last year in the spring show, I had like 60 of them filled with veggies, and I gave them away at the end of the season or at the end of the show, whereas handles on need either, either side so they can get them out of there easy. They're, they're lightweight. They're you stack them together and they'll share water through a principle called wicking. That's a good idea for me. Now that that gives me a good idea for asters to put, put them in something like that.
0: Mm -hmm. And I'm seeing them more and more at garden centers where, you know, you have the tons of potted mums at supermarkets and things, you know, I really think asters should be trained more and substitute for a lot of those mums because the mums, you know, they have a little bit of pollinator benefit like you were talking about before, but the asters are kind of off the charts as far as pollinator benefit.
1: And good luck making those mums over winter, at least in this zone here. If you don't have them in by September and really give them water and a liquid fertilizer to try and help that root growth, forget it. I don't care if it's the hardiest variety, if it's something that's made to to winter over, you know, it's 50-50 at best for us.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, here in Zone Seven, I can usually get them to winter over by being lazy and waiting till like they've finished blooming, shearing them back, and then plopping them in the ground. But uh, let's talk about some of the actual perennial mums, like the Sheffield Pink. Are you growing any of the Sheffield series, Doug?
1: No, I. I you know, I'm trying to think. The last one that I tried, I think it was a Glacier series. Maybe mm, I, mm-hmm. I'm not sure if that's the right one, but. Again, I tried that. I tried every trick I knew in the book to, you know, get them in early. Uh, Again, you know, water is important. I've been taught not um, not to cut them back at the end of the season. That's supposed to help them. But I couldn't get it to overwinter.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I think drainage is the key I'm finding with the Sheffield pinks. And also, mums are not long-lived plants, like two or three years, and they kind of peter out, and you might want to divide them or grab a section or or restock it, because a lot of them just are not, even though it's called perennial, right, you know, comes back every year, doesn't mean it lives forever. Everything has a lifespan.
1: I mean, I'm telling you, I have this friend, and he's not really that much of a gardener, but it was, he was over in Ohio. He was zone pure zone five. He had mums in there and they, they acted like a long lived perennial. And mm-hmm. he, he was, he was, it was almost to the point of being invasive. They would just, they, they were spread like crazy for him, and they always came back. And, you know, so it, it depends on your site too. And it depends on the luck of the draw too. And, you know, he, his were, mm-hmm. his were in like full afternoon sun, as I remember.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, I'm thinking it's the drainage, but the good soil, like on a a slope, good sandy soil is probably better than some heavy clay sitting in wet. Hmm. So that reminds me also, when we're talking about short-lived perennials, of the whole family of salvias, um, and in particular, Mexican bush sage. So I usually can get a salvia to come back maybe one or two times, maybe a couple years, but then they peter out for me. How about for you, Doug?
1: Have you grown May night?
0: no i haven't had that one
1: that's that's a pretty good perennial one uh, again with the salvias for me it's about deer resistance and i know mm. we're talking about perennials but i I've, I've got you know i'm just a big fan of salvia may night it's like 1999 perennial plant of the year and i know that's a long time ago and i know they've probably done breeding improvements and stuff but that one Man, that's a tough one. And the reason I like it so much is you know, like most plants it wants to grow, uh flower, set seed and go to sleep. On that May Night and probably others too, but I'm just most familiar with May Night. It gets looking ratty with like trying to put on seeds and you give it a good haircut and you give it water and you give it fertilizer and when things cool off, it'll if you're lucky enough, it'll put on a whole new flush of blooms that'll take you all the way to hard freeze not frost but to hard freeze and of all the ones i've ever grown and I'm, I'm a salvia fanatic mostly mostly annuals because of their deer resistance i'm able to grow salvias out unprotected and i'm, I'm talking about my herd is probably 22 now and they they walk right i'm not kidding i'm not joking Ugh. and and they have no fear i seriously the other day i saw five bucks together i've got uh It's a Disney movie basically out there. I've got fawns and does and bucks and they, they sleep in the garden and they don't, you've got to get closer than maybe 20 feet for them to start running and they don't run far. They just, you know, even I've got a little dog on a leash barking like a, a, a wild, uh, hyena. And they're just like, (laughs) what? I don't care. So when I get a plant like that, whether it's perennial or annual, um, I, I'm I'm incorporating it in the garden. Uh, I love the mm-hmm. the blues and purples, but also on the annual side the uh, reds and uh, you know real bright blues. Uh, I'm I'm I just I love growing salvia for that reason.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, deer resistance is phenomenal. It is in the sage family, so it's got that kind of like aromatic leaf that keeps the deer away. And some people, for some, you know, like me, where it's almost a temporanial, like a temporary annual, um, you could could pot it up and bring it in, like in a protected spot or treat it, you know, just as an annual. Um, So depends. There's such a huge family of salvias to test out. And like black and blue, I've been having some luck with. Um, One that I fell in love with called Purple Rain for obvious reasons, because I'm a big Prince fan. That didn't even last a year for me (laughs) sadly so but keep experimenting and there's a salvia for you
1: i I know we want to stand perennials but if we can talk salvia for just one second anything Mm -hmm. from the like wish series wendy's wish and then Mm. uh, amistad Mm. amistad is a real dark purple with it looks like black and blue only instead of blue flowers it's a real dark purple Mm. like again i don't want to go too off the path of of perennials but Again, as a salvia lover, uh those are just great plants for me, especially with so many people dealing with the deer
0: Mhm, yeah, and I totally agree with you on Wendy's wish that is like such a re- great rebloomer in a container, and it just goes and goes and goes, so and a man, great I, annual salvia the
1: hummingbirds love that one, and there's a whole series of them, and I can't remember the other names, but there's uh there's one i w- it was at the Chelsea flower show actually. And I don't know, it was yet two years ago and they had a new one in that series. It was this brilliant pink, but I'd have to look back into my, uh, I, I have a friend that works here at there's our, our big public garden. The other one is called Phipps conservatory and botanical gardens. And I have a friend that works there and we're both salvia nuts. And you know, it was, <laughs> I was at the Chelsea flower show and I see this pink salvia. And so I send her a message and it's, you know, it's six in the morning. She's working like six to two there at the uh, at the conservatory. We're just texting back and forth like, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. Oh, look at this pink flower. I'll have to look it up and figure it out. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I'm looking at a few of the sites that are, they're calling Wendy's Wish a 910 hardiness zone, just for the listeners out there to know. Um, but it does last, you know, till the killing frost and, the, and you know it just used,
1: on used to label that one believe it or not when it first came out it was labeled as a zone seven so <laughs> i don't i don't know what changed uh because i was figuring like you know i remember the first year i saw it in the in the uh nursery i was just i was taking a bath. it's so beautiful um and grew it out and again the hummingbirds loved it and was hoping that i could pot it up put it in an unheated greenhouse and get it to to winter over that way. And I still think I can, believe it or not. I, I, I think it's a, a pretty tough plant, but it had one of those winters where it was just like most of the stuff that I tried to, that I normally overwinter, like, you know, in the vegetable garden and that sort of thing. Uh, it, you know, most of it didn't make it cause it was two weeks of like minus 10 or something, which is unusual here.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's one of the ones that might be worth trying that like i said you know dig up some of your salvia and try to get it as at least as a house plant in a sunny window for a while you have nothing um, to lose so.
1: but you have nothing to lose by trying that
0: mm-hmm. well, let's talk about some of our hardier tougher fall perennials that we don't even have to bother to pull it out of the ground and i'm gonna jump to goldenrod um so i know there's people out there saying boo hiss <laughs> they don't want to see another goldenrod but what do you think doug
1: Goldenrod is not a weed. It is a wildflower, and there are cultivated varieties. If you want, you have to tell people that you have a cultivated variety in there. I think uh, it's fireworks one, Kathy, I think is mm-hmm. one.
0: Yeah, I. that's one of the best.
1: I have all just native goldenrod growing everywhere, and it doesn't make you sneeze. The pollen's too heavy. It's another one of these great plants for pollinators at the end of the season. And turn your head around about this plant. And, and that's what I tell people a lot when they think something's a weed like that, like this one, this is just an amazing plant. And just look, stop. The only reason it's a weed is somebody told you somewhere down the line that it's a weed. Just look at this plant. It's beautiful. And there's lots of weeds like that, you know? Okay. If they're invasive, forget it. We got to get rid of them. But this is just a completely positive plant. Uh, And again, today at the Pittsburgh Botanic Garden, you know, there are hillside pollinator gardens just filled with goldenrod, and it, it's it's beautiful. If you think it's beautiful, and I certainly think it's beautiful, and it it does so much for the pollinators, and you don't have to do anything to 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 make it grow. It just it just does its thing, and that's what I want in the garden. Mm-hmm.
0: No extra watering, nothing, no maintenance. You know, you might whack it back if it's getting a little bit too tall and floppy. Uh, that's about it for some of the, depends on the variety. Like fireworks stays shorter, more compact. And then there's some of the taller golden rods and some of the more um, prolific reseeders. But guess what? Cut off the seed heads as the bloom is fading. But I don't do that, Doug. You know why? Gold finches. Yep. They go yep. insane for this flower.
1: You know, another one, I don't have it on my list, but it, it uh, just, in that garden, is reminding me, Joe Pie and mm-hmm. let let me tell you, they had growing there, and I I don't know the cultivar. I'm sorry, but they had one that was shorter, with variegated foliage, that we we were just blown away by. And I I saw it, and I was just like, oh my gosh, you know, they like mostly natives, you know. Mm-hmm. And this one wasn't in the pollinator garden because that that's almost all native, but it was off in like a children's garden, and I I asked the uh the gardener you know what the variety was they told me but of course i can't remember but just just look up a variegated joe pieweed and it was only about three feet tall and again they are they're taking a look at it and they're making sure that it helps the pollinators so they're trying it out for its beauty but also they want it to do for work for the pollinators and joe pieweed in general is just a, a great plant you know again tough as nails it's it's i know it has the name weed in it but it's only, like I said, it's only a weed because someone told you it was a weed. They started, I remember when Joe Pie weed started to become popular, it was because they were growing it like in these fancy gardens in Europe. And this is a long time ago, you know, 25 years ago. And then all of a sudden it became popular now in the States. Everybody wanted to grow Joe Pie weed. But, you know, now that breeders have worked on it, as long as, for me, as long as the pollinator gets what it wants out of it, I'm, I'm fine with uh, having something that's not you know, a, str- a strict, straight native. That's just my opinion. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, because, you know, especially in a small garden, you know, eight foot tall, leaning over a plant can be a little out of control. So those little Joes, right, you know, right. all those series of smaller ones, that's a great option for people. Hmm. And so the other end of the spectrum are are tall sedums and it's funny when we say tall sedum we mean versus those that crawl along the ground like the ground cover sedums and and little succulents but we're talking about like sedum autumn joy and that series
1: yeah you know autumn joy is a great one and and again i've got one growing in my garden again a lot of times when people send you plants i try to keep track of them but it's in the heat of the battle and I, it's just an, it's hard enough just to to get them into a, a a container or into the ground for the time being, just so you don't kill it. And I know that sounds ridiculous, you know, if you're going out and you're buying plants and you're like, this guy's complaining because people are sending him plants. <laughs> but I've got one. It's so beautiful, and it just it has the most beautiful pink flowers. But I have no idea what it's called. And I know that's probably frustrating for your listeners, but in my style of gardening, which has no style whatsoever, I, I try, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, I really try to have that tag in there. I'm doing a little better, but again, in the heat of battle, you know, I'm going out of town, I'm going out of town here in, in seven days and I've got flats of lettuce. I've got a perennial hellebores to plant. I've I got so much to do and, and I'm, I'm not complaining. I guess I am complaining, but don't, don't hate me for complaining. You know, Uh, (laughs) I I'm trying my very, very best to to keep this under control and keep, get these plants in the ground without going crazy and everybody gardens differently. And, Mm -hmm. and so uh, don't hate me for, for being an idiot (laughs) for being an idiot and not knowing the names of a lot of these plants. It's enough for me. Like it's enough for me just to, I'm the only one that sees that plant maybe my, mm-hmm. my wife might see it, but I'm the only one that sees it. And the, the fact that I get enjoyment out of it, that's great. I know it's part of my job to tell people, you know, this is a great variety. Um, but sometimes it just doesn't work out that way. And I apologize for that, but I'm getting such immense joy out of this plant. It's, I just I threw it in a container. It just does its thing. I mean, imagine just a plant you just, you know, in, in the heat of the battle, you just, you're throwing this plant into a, a container and you say, okay, I'll, I'll get it into the ground eventually. It never did. And it's just, it's just doing its thing. You have this beautiful, you know, grayish green foliage all year. And then you get the gravy, you get the, you get these pink flowers right now. Uh, and it's mm-hmm. just amazing. Uh, besides autumn joy, do you have some other tall ones that, that you love specifically?
0: Yeah, I love the new series that are like Thunderhead and I think it's called Chocolate Cherry, um, where it's really dark burgundy foliage and kind of like, you know, a lighter color bloom. It could be anything from pink to burgundy in the bloom. And I've seen some with like the chartreuse green blooms with the dark foliage. That's a little out there for me. That that's a little backwards <laughs> that's, looking.
1: That's right up my yeah. alley. There, that's right yeah. up my alley. You know that that's the kind of ugliness that I need in my garden. And you might <laughs> you might think they need full sun. They don't. This one is again is growing. Uh, you know, fifteen feet from the uh, the Japanese anemone and the banana plant, and it is in the vegetable garden. It gets a little bit more sun, but you know, I'm in a woodland setting. It does not get full sun. It might, might get six hours and it blooms like a champ.
0: Mm -hmm. I agree. My Autumn Joy and the related series are all part sun because trees have filled in. They were originally planted in the sun, but they still do well. The only caveat to that is the flop. So they might need a little bit of staking if you want them perfectly straight up and down. But I don't mind, you know, plants laying down or coming into the pathway a little bit.
1: I hope that next time that we see each other in Baltimore, if if that happens, I hope I can see your garden this time. Last time I was in such a hurry, I had to get to <laughs> Virginia to see my son. I wasn't able to see your garden. And I thought about that today, actually. I thought about how I wish I would have stayed an extra hour to see that garden, but I was running out of time. And... Oh. May- yeah, I was going to the- say
0: that will be for Mance next January, which the garden is not going to look like much in January should you stay to visit, but you are always welcome.
1: I know, but I'll see the bones. You know, I can I can see what you're doing, you know, mm-hmm. even in January. And your, your January is different than my January.
0: Mm-hmm. There will hopefully be some color still there at that point. I'm sure there will yeah. be. And so, those listeners who are curious, Mance is the Mid Atlantic Nursery Trade Show that happens usually second week of January every year in Baltimore at the Convention Center, and that's a trade show for mainly East Coast to Midwest uh, growers, wholesalers, retailers, and you know a fun place to get together for plant geeks.
1: Yeah, us plant geeks, you know. And for me, I get a lot of uh, good interviews there. You know, like, I need content. For stories in the, in the middle of winter, you get new stuff coming out, but also I need content for the radio show when people aren't calling with their garden questions in January and February. Uh, and so I get a lot of good stuff and just meet so many cool people and you learn about plants and, uh, it's just, it's actually really, I think in general, almost the only time that Kathy and I see each other. And we, we look forward to those days where we can hang out at Mance in in the press room and then maybe get something to eat and it's just, you know, it's fun
0: and talk plants. Yeah, yeah yep. we do a lot of <laughs> we do
1: a lot of plant talking. Yeah, I always I when Kathy comes back from from looking at all the plants, I sit down with her and I get my computer out and I'm like, "Okay, what did you see? What do I have to see?" because she finds all the good stuff all the time. I'm, "You got to stop by this booth. You got to go to this booth." And so then I'm out out on the floor looking around at all the stuff that Kathy tells me to go see. I have a couple things usually where I can send her to, but she sees it first.
0: (laughs) That's my goal. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, next on your list that I'm looking at here is a plant that I'm just planting. So I don't have experience with it yet. And that's the Aurelia Sun King.
1: Oh man, this thing. First off super deer resistant it 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 actually gets to eventually be the size of a small shrub and it's it's just grown for its chartreuse foliage this time of the year what happens is it starts to flower and it has kind of insignificant little round flowers and when it does that uh at least in my garden because they have had one at this garden i saw today that was actually out in full sun which I don't think is the right spot for it. I grow it in, in almost full shade and it just brightens up uh, any shady corner in, in the garden. And again, for me, the importance of it is I don't have to spray it. And mine's probably been there three or four years and good three foot by three foot, maybe a little bit bigger. And again, this time of the year, nobody knows what Aurelia is when they see it at the nursery. They're like, you know, when I'm to be at the nursery and I'm if I see somebody looking at it, I might, I'm like that, you know, the guy who buys the house and he, he's just like your parents, he's, he's talking to people he shouldn't be talking to, but usually, <laughs> usually they're okay with it. I'm like, that Aurelia Sun King is a, and especially here, deer resistant, shade lover. You And it gets size three by three, four by four. You should, you should get that. <laughs> Actually, last time I saw, uh, there was a young couple, leaving the nursery and the husband was first and he had a, the whole cart filled with this stuff. And I saw two or, or three Aurelias in there and I stopped his wife on the way out. Oh, you're, you guys made a great choice there. You know, that Aurelia sun King. And they, you know, didn't know who I was, but they were just, <laughs> they were just, they were happy to hear that. Like, like, especially we are so, the deer are just killing, killing gardening here. It, it, it's that, out of control you know they're yeah. they're hunting them in the city with with archers you know it, it's it's got to that point where uh people are, people are giving up on gardening because of the deer now i'm not going to mm-hmm. lose i'm not going to lose that battle i'm not giving up on gardening because of deer uh i'm figuring my way around it
2: Hmm.
0: yeah let's fight the good fight and you know we can we can live with some of that predation from deer but yeah we definitely need to reduce those populations. And so let's go to the next one on your list, the Ligularia, which I've heard is deer resistant. I don't know if it's deer proof. What's your experience been?
1: I never say deer proof, but if anything is going to be deer proof and I call it Ligularia, I'm probably saying it wrong. You know, actually I did a story on a woman that works at Ohio state and her job was for, for all the website to do the pronunciation. And so I said, what are the right ways to say the plant, the plant name? She goes, there are no right ways. And so I have, I have, I have, I need a t-shirt that says that. Cause I always say everything wrong, but Ligularia where, where I have it, you know, Ligularia is known as a perennial for the shade that needs moisture, but where I have it, I've got it in the shade, but it's dry shade. I've never watered it. This one, the one that I'm talking about is called Brit Marie Crawford, but there are many, many different uh, cultivars of Ligularia. The rocket is one that grows like six feet tall and it starts blooming with yellow flowers at the bottom and works its way up. Britt Marie Crawford has this beautiful purple stems with like a bronze green foliage. This is more of a traditional perennial where you're really basically growing it for the foliage. And then again, I, I use the term and the gravy is these daisy shaped deep yellow, almost orange flowers at the end of summer, beginning of fall and then some really cool looking seed heads. And I'm telling you, it is outside the fence. The deer walk right by it. Even the young deer, I've never had it touched. That doesn't mean anything that, you know, a young deer could look at that and start nibbling on it. But for some reason, they do not touch it. And for some reason, this one, again, it doesn't seem to need the moisture that some of the other ones, and I'm just going by what I've heard, is that it likes likes a little bit of extra water and, Again, there's lots of different ligularias out there, and mm-hmm. it is it's it's tough, but more of a traditional perennial with a short bloom time. But you know, my son's just getting into gardening; he's got his, his second home, and he wonders why I want plants that only flower for a short time, whether it's a spring bulb or a ligularia or what it might be. I said you know, he said, I want something that blooms from April until, and he probably says till next April. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, we look forward to these, um, uh, ephemeral flowers where you, you wait for it. You know, when every day I walk in and out of that vegetable garden, cause it's outside the vegetable garden on a little corner. And I see it sprouting early in the year. Then I see it starting to bud and I'm like, Oh man, I can't wait. And then, One day you walk in there, I'm like, oh, there it is. And you get camera out and your phone actually and shoot it and post about it. And like, you you know, you want to tell everybody about this plant because you've discovered something. And this was one that a breeder gave me 20 some years ago to try. You know, this is just coming out. He said, I want you to try it. And I'm so glad I did. Uh, it, it's 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 just a true winner. And again, no maintenance, not low maintenance, no maintenance. And when I'm talking about that, though, I, real quickly, when I'm planting those, I'm digging a, 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 a planting hole twice as big or maybe bigger than the root ball. I'm digging in lots of compost I, and I'm planting that plant. I'm putting water on it right away and I'm mulching right away. And that's it. That's all I want. Uh, that's it for the plants. You're on your own for the most part. And those are, are basically the the plants that I want in, in the garden.
0: Hmm. I totally agree on that super low maintenance. We're never going to call it no maintenance, right? But definitely super low maintenance. Just touch that plant once or twice a year at the most and just let it do its thing. And when you're talking about the short bloom periods of some perennials, like Ligularia, you get great seed heads and those yep. stay up for months at a time and yep. they're almost more beautiful than the
1: flowers. They'll they'll be there basically almost all winter if you let them and mm-hmm. I I let them. I like to leave everything up. Uh I go I know that's not for everybody but I I find beauty in in these dried seed pots uh in the winter, you know, for me that's mm-hmm. good winter interest.
0: Yeah, I think we're going to have to do an episode one time about Just about the seed pods in the garden, which which are the best, yeah, and which are the most long lasting. Because some of them don't last as long, but all of them are usually pretty beautiful. You know,
1: as much as people hate Rosa Sharon, and I'm Mm -hmm. I'm I'm growing one that's uh, sterile called Sugar Tip that I love. Uh, The PhD I was with today at the garden, he he just put his finger in his mouth when I said Rosa Sharon, Uh, but those dried seed pods are to me really beautiful and they feed the birds. You know, I I know that's a pain for a standard Rosa Sharon that makes babies and people hate them. But believe it or not, I brought Rosa Sharon from my old garden because, you know, my kids are grown and gone now, but when they were little, they played basketball underneath that Rosa Sharon. You know how kids are. The ball goes into the tree, you know, they're, they're running into the tree thing was tough as nails. I brought a little, a few little babies from, from that one just because, of those special memories that to me is, is part of what gardening is. Even though I know the plant is, I don't care if it's anybody's favorite or if they hate it. Every time I look at that plant in the summer and it's blooming, I'm taken back to that time when my kids were, you know, eight, nine years old. Now they're one's almost 40. And so to me that, that plant is an important plant in the garden. Uh, It's not for everybody. But, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, I, I know I've, I've left the perennial <laughs> training <again>. and I'm sorry. <laughs> I've gone into shrubs and trees, but, yes, you know, we got onto seed heads. So that's where I love to watch the birds on those Rosa Sharons, uh, especially like the titmice like that. They'll just sit in there and they'll just dig through there. And it, it makes me feel good to see the birds feeding on those seeds. Mm hmm.
0: And I think that does circle us back to that fall perennials a lot of them that we are growing were pass along plants from gardens that we visited from older relatives, yep. or you know have special memories for us. Um I can say that especially for a Russian sage that I was given um and that's like a super tough sun loving fall perennial that just keeps on going and going, you know, borders on shrub, but it is a salvia um. Any last perennial favorites that we haven't covered yet, Doug?
2: One
1: more that I want people to know about, and it's called Helleborus niger. So you're probably Mm. familiar with the Hellebore uh, orientalis that blooms with the crocus. This plant blooms, starts blooming in November, December, uh, common name winter rose or Christmas rose. And it's evergreen, evergreen. to have something blooming late like that. And if it's a normal winter and down where you're at, Kathy, this thing would be perfect. You know,
2: mm-hmm.
1: I, I gave some to one of our friends that came to Mance um, who lives down in Virginia. And because the way they're sold up here, this drives me nuts. You can't find them at the nursery. Uh, they're a holiday plant. They come out like, like a poinsettia or something. They expect you to put it on your windowsill and and then throw it away or something at the end. And, and it's a perennial. It's it's this amazing perennial that blooms at, at at November, December, January. I mean, what what else could you ask for? It's evergreen, has these deep green leaves. I'm I'm somehow gonna make it my job to get these plants into nurseries. I can do it. I just have to I have to get the time to do it and figure it out and promote it because this plant is just amazing before i knew anything about gardening and tell me if we're running out of time kathy because i have just a little story about helleboris niger
0: no go ahead and share
1: um i didn't know anything about gardening and a friend of mine that worked at the newspaper that i worked at she said this friend of mine has given away uh, a plant and i forget the name of it what, what we thought it was and i said okay and we went and dug these up and i put it in like a five-gallon bucket. It was like 90 degrees out. Stupid. And left it in the van, in her van, for like hours on end, and then got it back home, put it in this front bed in my old garden, and didn't think anything about it. I wish I could remember what it was, because it was supposed to be this shrub. And it took three years for it to come back, because I transplanted it so terribly. And by that time, I knew what a hellebore was. And when it started blooming in November, I was perplexed, because I was like, I thought these were supposed, this was pre-internet, I thought these were supposed to bloom like with the crocus, and so, you know, I went to the library and looked it up, found what it was, and I brought that plant, because they hate to be transplanted, I brought that plant from that garden 20-some years ago to this garden, and again, that's just, every time I see it bloom, I'm reminded of, of this long journey of learning to garden, of not knowing anything, and really treating a plant badly, but yet, now it's one of my favorites. I just, I love it. And so what I do is I go to the nurseries. I even go to the box stores. I hate buying plants at box stores. Like I never do it. But after the holiday, I just, I happened to be walking through there. I needed something my hardware store doesn't, uh, my local hardware store doesn't carry. And I saw racks and racks of Hellebore, not Hellebores, Niger, 50% off. And they looked like they're about three days away from uh, being thrown to the trash. And so I, uh, I'll i preface this by saying I'm super cheap and, and a trash picker. And so <laughs> uh, I got the manager over and he was very nice. And I said, how many of these do I have to buy to get like a really good deal? Because I know where these are going in three days. He goes, buy two of them at half price and just fill your cart up with everything else you want because I want to get rid of them. And so then I got to figure out how to overwinter them because I used to try and plant them in like January when we'd have a thaw, then it gets too cold in February, kills them. So now I just, I put, I have an unheated greenhouse and I put them in there and they love it in there for the winter. And I still have two flats of them sitting out in the garden right now that need to be planted before I leave town in six days. (laughs) (laughs) And I've given a bunch of them away to people. Uh, again, again, down your way, man. Uh, they will they will thrive up here. They're tough as nails, uh, but it's much easier to overwinter them where you're at. Um, yep. If I get any this year at the end, I'll have to bring them to Mance and let you in on the deals, uh, so that you can take them back home and and plant them in your garden. <laughs>
0: yeah, and I think I've had luck with a few that have been given to me as Christmas type gifts on the holiday timing. And you're right. Um, you're taking a risk by planting them right away. But, you know, on a January day when it hits 50, 60, it's tempting and I've done it and I've had good success. So I'm zone seven. So again, not much to lose. You know, yeah, I, know. I wasn't going to keep it inside as a house plant. Yeah,
1: definitely. Yeah. That's what I actually, I actually talked to somebody today at that uh, garden today that I'd given one to last April and she planted it in May and before that, I mean, I didn't give it to her in April. She planted it in April, but I gave it to her during the winter and she did grow it that way. She grew it as a house plant. And I was wondering, I've been wondering if it could survive on the windowsill uh, Mm -hmm. for people who don't have, you know, how many people have an unheated greenhouse or a cold frame or a spot like that, or some protected spot where it could overwinter. So I think you can do it on the windowsill. Again, you have nothing to lose, especially when you buy it after the season. They're, They're giving them away. You know, cause they're, they're, I think they're pricey during the season. They're like in a little six inch pot, they're selling them up here for 25 to 30 bucks, mm-hmm. you know, all, all in full bloom.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, they, they push them into early bloom, you know, and get them full of vim and vigor and then you just are supposed to enjoy them for the bloom and then throw them out i guess in your compost pile but yeah we cheapskate gardeners love to plant them
1: i can't do it kathy i, I can't do it And i try and educate <laughs> everybody i can on this plant uh to not do that because if you can get it established you'll you'll again you'll have this evergreen plant that that when almost everything else is done it's coming into its prime i i love that Mm -hmm. part i just love that part of it and believe it or not in january here in zone five six when you get a thaw you'll see honeybees come to it
0: Mm -hmm. yep i definitely have seen bees and even some of the early you know native bees that break dormancy or come out early um visiting them And and the later hellebores as well, of course. So, Doug, wrapping up our fall perennials chat, um, how can our listeners follow up to find out more, find where you're at, and talk to you more about fall perennials?
1: Everything I'm doing is at DougOster.com. It's D-O-U-G-O-S-T-E-R. And if you have a garden question, that's part of my job. I answer garden questions all day long. Uh, just send a message through and I'd be happy to talk to you about whatever your problem is, or maybe even if you have some advice on something cool to do. I love the interactive uh, nature of what we do, Kathy, of being able to talk back and forth with gardeners, you know, real quick. (laughs) Sorry. I know you're, I know you're ready to shut me up, but uh, (laughs) I, I just, I love that part of it to be able to talk back and forth with people. And, and in a world internet world where people are always like worried about trolls and this and that and bad things i never get that i never get that out of gardeners it's always positive stuff back and forth trying to help each other i always say that fishermen have secrets but gardeners don't have any they love to share everything
0: Hmm. well thank you for sharing and thank you for being on the garden dc podcast again doug
1: thank you so much for having me that was fun
0: Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Sternbergia plant profile. Autumn daffodils, Sternbergia ludia, is also known as the winter daffodil, fall daffodil, lily of the field, or yellow autumn crocus. It is actually not a daffodil or crocus at all but is in the amaryllis family. It is native to southern Europe. This charming fall blooming bulb is an old-fashioned favorite that deserves a spot in your garden. It is drought tolerant, virtually pest free, and deer plus rabbit resistant. The autumn daffodil grows to about six to eight inches high and has thin strappy foliage that emerges in late summer. Then the bloom appears in mid to late September. It is hardy to USDA zones six to nine and does best planted in full sun to part shade in well-draining soils. If your soil is acidic, you might add lime to make it more alkaline and these bulbs happier. Autumn daffodil is an heirloom pass-along plant that will naturalize and form a small grouping. You can dig and divide the bulbs to share them with others or plant them around your garden. Sternbergia, you can grow that. What's new in the garden this week? Well, it was a delight to be sitting in my gazebo and watch the hummingbirds visit my can of flowers. Even this late in the season, they still need that nutrition. Over at the community garden plot, we dug up our sweet potato vines only to find nothing. (laughs) So some creature had gotten in there and already eaten the tubers. So we'll try again next year. In local gardening events, you might want to attend the spooky arboretum night hike at the blandy arboretum on friday october 13th from 6 30 to 7 30 p.m and you can find out all about bugs bats and things that go bump in the night as you explore the arboretum in Boyce, virginia so you can sign up for that at their website members and uva alumni are ten dollar fee non-members are 15 there's also family rates Another walking tour you might want to attend that same weekend is at the Arlington National Cemetery. They're having their Memorial Arboretum walking tour on Friday, October 13th from 9 to 11 a.m. led by Greg Hughes, an ANC forester. You can come see the trees of Arlington at the peak of their autumn splendor. There's over 300 species of trees at the Arlington National Cemetery for you to see. You can also visit again on Friday, October 20th at 9 a.m. for a What's New at the Memorial Arboretum Walk with horticulturalist Kelly Wilson. And there are several other fall color and walking tours happening at the Arlington National Cemetery this fall. Just go to their website and you can find out details on that. And then finally, the White House is open again for their annual fall garden tours. You can find out more about them at whitehouse.gov. That is Saturday, October 14th and Sunday, October 15th from 10 a.m. to 4.30 p.m. It is free, but the tour requires time tickets that you can pick up from the National Park Service outside the White House Visitor Center on Pennsylvania Avenue starting at 8 30 a.m each day then you line up for your entry point near the south lawn and I can say the tour is well worth it you can see a little short we made about the tour on our YouTube channel for Washington Gardener magazine and that was a lot of fun and a perfect weather day I hope if you go you have the same wonderful time and perfect weather as well happy gardening Thank you.
2: area you'll crave spending time in. Whether you're growing edible plants or beautiful flowers, the 101 amazing growing ideas found in the urban garden will turn your tiny urban yard into a treasure trove of green you'll be proud to share with family and friends. Buy your copy today at your local retail bookseller or order it online now at amazon.com or bookshop.org. Get low-maintenance alternative salons with the new book, Ground Cover Revolution, by Kathy Jets. Reducing the lawn is among the biggest trends in homeownership, with an endless stream of homeowners looking for an eco-friendly alternative to a traditional, everyday grass lawn. In the last few years alone, over 23 million American adults converted part of the lawn to a natural landscape and now are looking to do even more. The biggest challenge to adopting this new ideal of the perfect lawn is knowing how and when to replace your turf and which plants are the best ones for the job. Ground Cover Revolution is here with all the answers you need included are 40 in-depth profiles of plants that are perfect choices for replacing a grass lawn. There are options for sun, for shade, for dry and wet sites, and for various climates around the globe. There are choices that bloom, options that are evergreen, and selections that are deer-resistant. Author Kathy Jens has also included an incredibly useful chart that gives you all the details on each of the 40 choices for quick reference and to make your ground cover selection process even easier. Whether you want to replace the entire lawn or just reduce the amount of land dedicated to turf, Ground Cover Revolution will help you usher in a new and improved idea of what a beautiful lawn should be. Available at bookstores now and also at quarter.com, where you can get 30% off using discount code GARDENING30.
3: This is The Last Word on Flying Squirrels by Christy Page at Green Prince. I'm not a person who uses the word hate very often. It's just not a frequent part of my vocabulary, but I will say that I hate flying squirrels. It has not always been this way. For years, I was actually quite ambivalent. I never even gave them much thought. That all changed a few years ago and became a struggle I will never forget. The first incident that spurred my hatred of flying squirrels was not even a direct contact. I was away on a trip and woke up one morning to a video text from my daughter. In it, there was a lot of yelling, running around, and general mayhem. I had no idea what was happening, but called home to find out. Apparently, the prior evening, just before midnight, when everyone was tucked safely in bed, we had an intruder. The four-legged kind. Yep, a flying squirrel. The dogs went crazy. My daughter was startled. It was in her room. And my husband struggled to capture it and get it out of the house. I thought it was going to stop there, just an amusing story that we could look back on and laugh about after they caught up on sleep and straightened up the house. Well, a few weeks later, I found a couple of acorns in a drawer. I still didn't put two and two together. It wasn't a drawer I used very often. I had no idea how long they could have been in there. And a few weeks after that, we heard a few scampering footsteps. It sounded too loud to be mice, but we put out a couple of traps just in case. After two weeks, we had bear mouse traps and more scurrying noises. I talked to a couple of pest companies, and they said that our best bet was to trap them and release them. We bought a couple of humane traps, did a lot of research, experimented with the best type of bait, and did a lot of waiting. We then started catching flying squirrels. Not one, not two, but over a dozen. It was a long, crazy winter. Spring came, and we didn't hear any more noises. We were hopeful that all was solved. We spent the summer happily reveling in the fact that we didn't hear anything in the attic crawl space of our house. We were lulled into a false feeling of security. Fall came around again, and so did the scurrying noises. Out came our trusted traps and long nights of catching flying squirrels. An animal that I had honestly never given much thought to became an obsession. I was researching this rodent as if I were about to give a dissertation on it. After several more weeks of this, we decided it was time to turn it over to the professionals. They came and built eviction ports in the eaves of our house and plugged up every little small hole they could find. Apparently, a flying squirrel can fit through an opening the size of an average pinky finger. For the next few weeks, we heard less and less noise until the blissful night when there was none. We had latently called the pest expert, who told us to give it a couple more weeks. Two weeks went by of quiet nights and deep sleep. It seemed like the eviction process was a success. The pest company came back and removed the eviction ports and closed those holes up as well. I don't know when I have been happier to see an animal go. The flying squirrels didn't damage anything. They didn't eat any crops, but they did tamper with our sleep and sanity. So while I'm not a person who uses the word hate often, I will say that I hate flying squirrels, and I think with apt reason at this point. I will now wait with bated breasts for the first few chill fall nights and see if I'm awoken by any scurrying noises. If I am, I know to just leave it to the professionals. This was the last word on flying squirrels with Christy Page at GreenPrints.com.